Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real-life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipnis. Every business needs to know their numbers. Every business needs to do accounting. Every business needs to have their bookkeeping done. The biggest challenge that many business owners have is that they don't necessarily see the value early enough in it or they're terrified of the cost so they do it themselves. And doing it yourself does two things. One, it ensures that you don't have enough time to do what it is you do best. And two, it ensures that you most likely will do it wrong. That's why we have professionals. That's why we have someone like today's guest who will know and teach you what you need to know and the benefit of having someone on your team along with the other partners on your team that can do the bookkeeping for you. She's a chartered accountant who specializes in the cloud accounting software Zero. She founded Bean Ninjas in 2015 with $1,000 following a seven-day startup methodology. Four years later, she's in the US, Hong Kong, and the UK, and is a team of 15 all over the world. Bean Ninjas was a finalist for the Bookkeeping Firm of the Year Award in 2018 and 19 Australian Accounting Awards, and the Zero Partner of the Year. She was also a finalist in the Entrepreneur of the Year category in the 2019 Women's of Finance Award. Prior to starting Bean Ninjas, she ran her own consulting firm. She worked for an international accounting firm, and she's taught accounting at Central Queensland University. She is an expert speaking regularly to groups of people, entrepreneurs, on scaling businesses, entrepreneurship, and her core business bookkeeping, Meryl Johnston. Thanks for joining us today. I look forward to the fun conversation. Thanks, and what a wonderful intro. Great <laughs> to be here. Yes, I, I, I always love having accountants. And some people might find that strange, but it's the one thing that we really, really need in our business. And it's the last thing most people hire. So before we get to that, I want to find out how did you get on your journey to starting your own business and starting Bean Ninjas. Obviously you worked for an internationally recognized accounting firm, you've taught, you were a consultant. What made you start this business and how did you get there? Well, I always wanted to run businesses ever since I was a kid. And I actually, my first business was a tennis coaching business when I was at university or college, as you would say. And after I, I finished university, I worked in accounting for 10 years and it took me that long to really find the right opportunity to start my own business. And that business was consulting and I did that for nine months and noticed some challenges around scaling that business. So I, I really, I'd been involved a little bit in the tech startup world and I wanted to build a business that had global potential and could scale. And I couldn't really see how I was going to do that with my consulting business where I was helping bigger businesses with complex accounting problems and accounting software problems. And I just, I just couldn't see the future with that kind of work. And so Bean Ninjas was, was born where I was looking at, well, what's my skill set, which is accounting, and how can I find a business model where I can meet some of my ideal business criteria? So I wanted to have recurring revenue rather than doing project work. I wanted it to be process-based so I could build a team and scale the business rather than having me involved in the delivery. And I wanted to build a brand rather than having work coming in based on my professional expertise. 
And that was where I identified that bookkeeping was something that it needed to happen regularly. It needed to happen every week or every month. And therefore a recurring subscription made sense. It was easier to build a team around than the complex consulting work I was doing. And I also saw the opportunity for it to scale globally, even though accounting and, or taxes specifically will will often relate to a location or a country. Bookkeeping is about 80% that's the same regardless of what country you're operating in. And so that was why I decided to start Being Ninjas. And then as you said in the intro, we we started in seven days. And so in, the, in those seven days, we created our own logo, built a, a WordPress website, took our best guess at, at three fixed fee bookkeeping packages, which we posted on the website and got our first customer in that first week. All right, there's a lot to unpack there. So I love that the, the methodology that you use. So many businesses start with an idea and they get off and running or they start with someone saying, hey, I need this and they're off and running. You were very thoughtful about your approach in choosing an industry, something that was scalable, something that fit your skill set, something that people needed. You checked a lot of boxes along the way before you chose the business. Can you tell us a little bit about that thinking? Because it's very different from a lot of entrepreneurs who go first and then figure out all of those other pieces later. Well, I think it wasn't my first business. So I'd had the, that tennis coaching business years ago and then consulting was my second business. And so it wasn't the first time that I tried to start a business. And so I think having had those experiences, I'd actually had exposure to what I didn't like about those business models. And I was also reading a lot of content and listening to podcasts and hearing other entrepreneurs and their perspectives about what made a great business model. So I didn't necessarily come up with this framework myself. I was just hearing what other people were doing and how they were comparing and contrasting business models and looking at what other people who were successful, what kind of criteria they had used to evaluate business models. And so then I adapted that to my own skill set and experience and what I was looking for. And I should probably add, there was a couple of lifestyle things I wanted out of a business as well. I'm a surfer. And so my goal was to create a business where I worked less than 20 hours a week. I still haven't quite got there, but that was one of the original goals. And the other was that I wanted a business that I could run from anywhere. So it was location independent, not tied to a specific location with me in an office. And, and you learn from others who have been there before you, which is really obviously the premise of a show like this, that other people have done it, other people have stubbed their toe, and, and you learn from them and you learn from your past failures or your past dislike or your, your past dislikes about your business. And then you built this. And so you got your first client inside of seven days and essentially built the entire business in that period of time, which is fascinating in and of itself. But when you get there, you get your first client, how do you turn that first client and that idea into an actual business, right? Because one client leads to another, but the business doesn't form until you have enough revenue to really scale it up. When was that point for you? It actually took quite some time because even though I liked the idea and I'd been careful about the business model and I started with a co-founder, we were actually doing this as a side hustle. So we were both running our consulting businesses as well. And that's what we were using to pay our living costs. And it took six months until we could actually hire someone to do deliver the bookkeeping work. So in the early days, we were doing everything, but the goal from day one was to build something that could scale, which meant we needed to hire people as quickly as we could. And we needed to have documented procedures and a set way of delivering bookkeeping. 
but it did it took us six months to to make our first hire so that and very quickly we started to hand off the deliver the bookkeeping delivery and then we just had to keep on earning every dollar until we could then hire someone to help with onboarding, hire someone to help with sales and gradually start to hand off those different elements of the business. And we did, we had a, a bit of a roadblock, uh, for want of a better word, about 18 months into the business, my business partner and I had a different, we realised we had a different vision and we were both also running our other businesses still at that time. And I ended up buying his share of the business and I was in, we realised, yeah, different visions and also different personal family situations, which meant that we were able to take, we had different risk profiles. So again, that meant that instead of having two co-founders, there was only me. And that again meant that our growth was slower than I would have, have liked. But we, we continued to evolve, continue, we, we really just focused on doing great work and also telling stories. So we started a blog the, the day that we started the company and tr yeah, tried to tell an interesting story, which can be difficult if you're in the accounting space, but built an audience and built a community that way. When did you sleep? <laughs> yeah, I did work pretty long hours in, in the early days. I mean, I've always had a lot of interest outside of work, like surfing and fitness. So I always did try and balance that. And, and we originally were trying to create the business as a, a lifestyle business, but there was definitely a lot of hard work in the beginning. And, and especially that period just after I bought Ben, my co-founder, out, and it was just me, I, I would definitely was working hard. Let me ask you a little bit about, about that transition, because there are a lot of people that have businesses and the unfortunate truth in business is that all partnerships end at some point. Um, sometimes it's with the sale of the business, which is perfect, but a lot of times they end for varying reasons. When did you identify that you had different risk profiles, different goals, different ideas about where to go? And how was the decision made that you would take over the business rather than Ben? What was going through your head and what actually transpired to make that come together? and keep you interested, excited, and motivated to take the business to the next level by yourself? I think the, the warning signs happened about eight months into the business. So our first six months was slow. And then we hit six figures at the eighth month, eight, eight months into the business. And that was when we, we obviously had a lot more customers at that point. And so that was when the crack started to show because we were under a lot more pressure. We were growing pretty quickly. And that's when we started to have some conversations about how, how big did we want to grow this business and also how much time did we have available to work in it. So the conversation started there and it probably took another nine months to get to the point of, right, I think one of us needs to buy the other one out. And, and we talked through both options because both of us love the brand, being ninjas, we, we loved what we were doing. And so regardless of who, who left, one of us was going to be a bit disappointed about that but we we talked through it we, we talked through both options either of us could have continued to run the business and both of us had other business ideas too which we could start and so we worked out that the, the best solution for both of us was for me to buy Ben's share of the business and continue on and then he went on to to another business okay so it sounds like as amicable as a business disagreement can be, you were able to work it out and still remain friends and, and continue the business without the 
sometimes inevitable problem of the business just dies because that decision can't be made. Yeah, I was really happy with the way we handled it. It was tough. It was, it was an emotional process to go through, but he's a really great guy. And we both approached it from the perspective that we wanted to try and do right by each other and and not, he wasn't trying to, um, when we decided that, that he was selling to me, he wasn't, he was trying to get a fair price, but he wasn't trying to make it uh, ridiculous. And from the other side of things, I, I was trying to make sure that he was looked after too. So yeah, we're still friends now. We actually are running a, a workshop at a conference next week in Thailand together. Oh, very nice. So, so you'll, you'll expand to Thailand. And going international, um, get a cart a little bit before the horse here, but going international and getting to 15 um, employees in, in different countries, getting from one to one employee is hard enough. And then hiring your second employee, every time it's a little more difficult to know what to do until you get to scale. Now you're at 15. How easy has it become to envision the next hire and plan for the next hire in advance? Well, with the service delivery part of the business, it's quite systemized now. And that was really special for me. Earlier this year, I had a daughter, Ava. And- Congratulations. I had, thank you. Yeah, and so I had time out of the business. And that was the first time that we'd run the hiring process end to end without me being involved. And so the team hired a full-time accountant. They assessed cultural fit, did all of the reference checks, did the skills testing, did the onboarding. It ran brilliantly. And that really made me feel like I've created a business, not a job for myself in having a team that can look after that. So when it comes to hiring people for our service delivery team and whether that's whether they're bookkeepers or supervisors, quality assurance, because we've hired for those roles lots of times and we have a very clear job description, we know exactly what we're looking for and how to assess those skills. It's become a lot more systemized and, and easier to hire for those roles and there's a clear process in place and, and we know what to look for with the right people. When we're creating a new role, for example, I'm still building out the marketing team side of our business. And so these are new roles and that still requires more thought and, and I guess more trial and error. It, it, when some, so for example, originally when I was making our first marketing hire, I thought I could hire someone to do everything. Someone that would be great at SEO, great at content writing, social media, paid traffic, and really, that, that's unlikely to find someone that's great at that, that's great at strategy and execution. And so through trial and error, I've then identified, okay, we need to break that down into different elements. Whereas we've done a lot of that learning on the accounting and service delivery side of the business. I love that you just said that because I was thinking in my head and for everyone listening that's listened a lot, you know, I don't really skip script the questions. I base it off of what I'm hearing and try to make this a great conversation. And I was about to ask a question about systematizing everything because it sounds like you're a systems person. You had a seven-day system to get the business up and running. You had a system in order to put people in place. You had a system in order to replace yourself and hire employees. And then you switch to marketing and it becomes trial and error. Um, as somebody who has a accounting and bookkeeping background, who's a systems-oriented person, how difficult it, is it for you to do trial and error in growing the business? Because it doesn't sound like that's your normal nature in how you built everything else. That's a great question. And I had some unlearning to do when I became a business owner because accounting, bookkeeping 
and I was doing accounting systems too. So I was very systems focused and liked everything to be well documented and organized. But speed of execution, I think, is critical when you're a small business or a startup and you're growing quickly. And it's more about having fast feedback loops and trying something, getting feedback and adapting rather than spending a whole lot of time planning something out or systemizing too early. And so that was something that I had to wrestle with. But, but doing the seven-day startup challenge, that definitely forced me to, to move quickly and, and not wait until our website was perfect before we got a customer, not wait until our bookkeeping packages were perfect and, until we did something. So that's something I've been forcing myself to do every day when I've been building Beam Ninjas. And you're right, my natural state is to want processes and to be more detail oriented. And that's something I've realized in my role as CEO, I need to be thinking big picture strategy, the vision and communicating that really well, and then have other great people in the team look after the execution and, and the details. Um, I love that you just went there with that because that's what I, I was thinking as well is that you're in an industry and you're asking your clients to outsource a portion of their business to you. And I was going to ask, how do you outsource the other parts of your business that are not your strength to others? How do you think about looking at an outsource provider for your business, whether it's different types of marketing, SEO or social media or, um, you know, traditional advertising and, or whether it's your IT, how do you look for an outsourcer and how should people look for an outsourcer like Bean Ninjas when they're thinking about outsourcing accounting in their world? I start by thinking about whether it's our core business and at the moment, so some things like web development, that's not really our core business. And so we, we work with a web developer for that. Whereas and bookkeeping is our core business. And so I want to make sure that we're doing that in-house because we're actually the provider for someone else. That's our core business. And we want to have full control over that and really understand it well and optimize for that. And content, I actually believe is our core business too. And in the early days when we were building a content team, we outsourced our content writing to a provider and we worked with someone where I felt confident that they were going to deliver to the quality that we wanted and I could rely on them to deliver on the schedule that we'd agreed and also that they could provide some guidance and fill our skill gaps. But in order for, for that relationship to work well, I needed to skill up on content as well so that I knew so I could have conversations about strategy and so that I, I would know whether they were doing a good job or not and also provide some level of feedback. So in the early days, we outsourced that. And then when I realised that, that content and publishing is actually a secondary part of our core business, then we've gradually started to build a team around that. Another example might be legal advice. And so as an accountant, I have some knowledge of some of my training was around the legal side of things, but it's not my specific area of expertise and so again if we're having contracts done up or we're wanting advice around trademarks then again we will outsource that to an expert and in that situation I would ask for recommendations from other people and also get really clear about what result I wanted from whoever I'm engaging and what does a good result in working with them look like so that's kind of my thought process around that skill up so you can scale up I, I think that's uh, super quotable. I love that. We're talking to Meryl Johnston on the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. I totally missed thanking my 
sponsors and my platform. My sponsor is powertexting.com, a great platform to stay in touch with your prospects and your clients. And C-Suite Radio is our platform. Powertexting.com gives one hotel stay to one listener of every podcast that we do. 17 hotel resorts around the world. Go to podcasttrip.com and you can win that trip. And Meryl, we, you know, you're talking about your business. You're talking about bookkeeping. What does bookkeeping mean to you and your business? Because the, the line between bookkeeping and accounting and bookkeeper and controller gets really blurred in the marketplace. And most business owners don't know what they need. What does bookkeeping really mean for a business that's looking to scale? To me, bookkeeping is about having clean data to make great decisions. As business owners, we want to make data-driven decisions. So I think it's important to listen to your gut as well, but you don't only want to listen to your gut. You want to have data and metrics that you can also rely on to help you make important decisions, like when the ne- when you're going to hire the next person or should you invest in this particular marketing activity, knowing that you've got the cash flow available, knowing what kind of return on investment you want to get. So I think... As business owners, we want to make data-driven decisions. And in order to do that, we need good data. And that's where bookkeepers come in. And I see the role of a bookkeeper is maintaining accurate financial records and keeping those up to date, making sure that allocations are consistent, making sure that all of the supporting documentation like receipts are filed in a place that they they are easy to find. And best practice is actually to attach those source documents into the accounting platform, for example, Zero or QuickBooks Online. And so that's what I see is the main role of the bookkeeper. These days with cloud accounting and all of the integrations that are available, so Zero has over 400 integrations with other pieces of software where they can send data backwards and forwards. A bookkeeper also has knowledge around that and how to set those integrations up effectively so that the right data is coming into your accounting system. And then at the end of the process, they're responsible for making sure that there's good reports. And that kind of blurs into management accounting or a controller role as to how advanced they go with the reporting. But that's the the evolution I see of the bookkeeping industry. And it's funny, I don't even know if the term bookkeeper will be around in 10 years because the role is, is merging into these two areas. One is around cloud integration and setting up those different systems to talk to each other. And then the back end is around the reporting and not just preparing a balance sheet and an income statement, but maybe preparing job profitability report. There's a whole range of different reports that that bookkeepers can prepare to help business owners make great decisions or help their managers make good decisions. And and in the past, you, you bring a stack of receipts to your accountant, you bring them to your bookkeeper, you dump them on their desk, you walk away and let them deal with it. In today's world, a lot of things, as you said, are integrated and you can pull information from credit cards and bank statements directly into systems. How has that, one, made the job easier in terms of the paperwork, but how has that really expanded, as you were just saying, the bookkeeper role into more of a financial engineer than just a data entry person? Now that information is available on such a more timely basis, Originally, a small business owner, they might only look at their books once a year at tax time and they were going through those receipts once a year. And sometimes it was well after the end of the financial year. 
And to me, that's, yes, that's one of the reasons that you do bookkeeping and accounting, but that shouldn't be the primary reason to file taxes. It should be because as a business owner, you're interested in your numbers and, and you, you want to improve different areas of your business. And you're right in saying that's what's really changed the role of the bookkeeper because now this information is available so quickly. There's no reason that you couldn't have weekly sales reports pulled from your accounting system. There's no reason that you couldn't have your monthly income statement ready within 10 days after the end of each month. And so it has expanded that role because now what big business was doing, getting their management reports out every month, is now available to small businesses. And that's where bookkeepers are helping the, the new breed of, of small business owners. I think that's so true. And the data is so important. But as I, I touched on right at the beginning of the show, most small businesses, when, they're get, when they get started, and I'm talking about the one-person shop that, that's trying to grow, the bookkeeper is generally the last professional they hire. Do you see that as well? And if so, why do you think that people wait on the bookkeeping and the data that's so important and they try and do it themselves? I do see, I see it often. And when we're working with new clients, if they've been in business only a couple of years, often they're coming to us to say, I've got a couple of years to catch up on. Can you help? And, and we can, <laughs> we, we do, we'll, we'll set them up on zero and then we'll, we do a catch up to bring them up to date. So that's quite common. And I've, I have actually thought about this a lot. And I think the reason is when you start a business, the most important thing is sales. You're trying to find product market fit. So you're trying to figure out what will people pay you for and, and what do they value? And that's the most important thing that you can be doing. And it's only when you've got that figured out and money's coming in and you're starting to maybe scale delivery or systemize that or, or do that at greater volume that you then start to worry about data and things like bookkeeping. So I can see why it happens. And we actually, I was thinking about that because I realized, well, we want to help business owners at the beginning, not just <clears throat> when they're two years into their business journey, they haven't got any good data and, and it's, they're, they're in a, a bad place when it comes to making decisions. So we realized that it, it might not make sense to outsource bookkeeping in, in month one because there's other priorities. So we created a zero setup product where we, we go and at least set the system up and try and automate it. And then we also have a training product where we teach business owners how to do the basics so they can stay on top of the invoicing, that they can make sure that there's money coming into the bank account. And then at least their records are reasonable for tax time. And then when they're ready, then they, they can start to look at outsourcing things like bookkeeping. And, and the way I look at that, is from a, or if I was framing that with a, a conversation with a potential client, would just be looking at the cost benefit to them. So how long does it take to do bookkeeping every month? What's that? Maybe the hourly rate's $100 an hour. Maybe it's taking five hours. And would they be better paying to have someone else do that and spend their time on, on in their genius zone doing something that they really enjoy and adds a lot of value? So the answer to that for everyone listening is yes. And also something that, that Meryl, you just said about the setup on the front end and that I believe everyone should take advantage of this. One of the biggest challenges that my business clients that I work with have is having to fix stuff that's broken because they didn't do it right the first time. And the bookkeeping and the accounting is honestly the easiest to start even before you have a dollar in the door. You can set up your chart of accounts. You can set up the system, you can set it up, 
so you don't have to go back three years later and clean it up. I think it's wonderful that's something that you offer. And you also have a financial literacy course because you want your clients to understand the numbers, not just give it to you to input. So tell me about you know, financial literacy, why that's important and an important component for you and your clients and the course that you have. When I was giving the marketing example before, I talked about how I wanted to skill up and improve my knowledge in that area so then I could work effectively with a supplier. And I think the same principle applies to business owners and their finances. And it's, I think it's helpful if you outsource things like bookkeeping and accounting, if that's not your area of expertise. But as a business owner, you still have a role in understanding your numbers and, and being on top of the way the finances are running in your team and in your business and making sure that you're working with the right people. Are you working with the right bookkeeper and the right accountant? And so having a level of financial literacy, I think is an important skill for every business owner. So I was partly looking at it from that perspective. And then I was also looking at the clients that we work with and the ones often that are really accelerating with their business growth and profitability are the ones that have a sense of their numbers and an understanding of where they're making their money and who their most profitable customers are, what their most pro profitable products or services are. And so I've had insight into that. We've, we've worked with a couple of hundred business owners. And so getting that insight made me realize the importance of it. And I, I don't want to run a service where we prepare reports every month and no one looks at them. We, to provide real value, we need to, yes, provide the reports, but also provide training around how to understand them, interpret them, and actually use the information to make good decisions. So the financial literacy course is split into two components. The, the first is financial systems, and that's making sure that you've got all of the standard operating procedures and the right technology in place to make capturing the bookkeeping data easy. And, and if, we, if a business owner's outsource bookkeeping, then that just gives, they can just use that as an overview. Whereas if they're doing their own bookkeeping, then that's, that content's really important. And once you have that in place and you've got great data coming through, it's not taking too long to prepare and it's happening regularly, then we move into the financial reporting component, which is digging in and analysing your business. My wife happens to be an accountant. She does something a, a little bit different in her, in her business. But one of the biggest things she says when she meets with a client, she asks them a series of questions to see if they're looking at the numbers or the number. And by number, she means the bottom line. Did I make yes. more money this year than I looked at last year? Or the numbers, meaning this number is going up. Is that good or bad? Is this number going down? Is that good or bad? And do we need to adjust? It sounds like, one, you, that's a core part of your business. And two, you want your clients to understand that. One, because it makes their business better. Two, it allows you to help them better, correct? Yes, absolutely. I think if you provide real value with whatever service or product that you're selling, then your customers will stick around and, and tell other people about you. And so that's part of one of our philosophies on business is that we want to be providing real value, not just oh, we do bookkeeping off, oh, well, that's something that the business owner is thinking, oh, well, that's something that we just have to do. And, and I guess we have to pay the ninjas for that. That's not the kind of relationship we want. Well, that's, uh, that's just really thoughtful in how you, you want to deliver. Because if you're not delivering value, even if someone's paying you, it's not the right client, right? And a lot of us fall into that trap. 
Yeah, and they're probably not going to be long-term clients. They might they might stay with you for three months, but they might not stay with you for three years. And they're probably not going to become raving fans and, and tell other people about you or leave reviews or in their community of entrepreneurs recommend you to other people. That's awesome. And we'll have information in the show notes on the financial literacy course. Uh, Meryl has a podcast, the Bee Ninjas podcast. Uh, you can also reach her at her website. Is it Give us, give us the website so people can find you. It's been, B-E-A-N, ninjas, N-I-N-J-A-S dot com. Easy enough for everyone to remember. Last couple of questions for me. And one is you've been able to, one, have a skill in one area and learn a number of other things without it bogging you down. One struggle a lot of business owners have is they lose track of what they're great at because they're too busy trying to figure out marketing, trying to figure out SS, uh, SEO, trying to figure out the technology, trying to figure out the legal side of it. It sounds like you're able to scale up so you can scale up, but you do it in a small way, hire someone which allows you to scale. How do you do that thought process wise or systematically so you don't get too bogged down in the stuff that it takes away from your business? There's, there's two ways that I look at that. One is the way that I'm building the team. And then the other is the skills that I'm focused on learning and developing. But when I was looking at the team structure, a couple of years ago, I mapped out all of the key roles and then looked at, well, gradually I want to hire for all of these roles and then prioritize those in, in terms of which to hire first. And my priority there was getting out of service delivery first. So first of all, we hired bookkeepers, then onboarding, then sales so that all of the operational part of the business was running without me. And only then did I start hiring people to help with HR, our internal accounting, risk management and marketing. So that was how I approached it. That may or may not be the, the right way to do it, but my top priority was to get out of anything related to service delivery so I could focus on being a CEO and, and not in the detail there. Then when it comes to learning skills, sometimes I'm trying to plug a skill gap, so a perceived weakness of mine. And then sometimes I'm, I'm trying to double down on an area because I think it's important for us. As an example, SEO is one of our key marketing strategies and we've been working on that for four years and we would get at least a couple of leads a week through Google searches. And because that's a strategy that's working for us, I'm going to spend more time learning about that even though we work with consultants, but so I can ask the right questions and we're doubling down on that. Whereas a weakness for me, which you actually touched on before, was getting too in the detail and not thinking big picture enough and not putting my CEO hat on. And so I've been working on that and learning about visionary leaders. I've had some business coaching. I, I have a mentor that I have conversations with about that. And I do a lot of reading around on, on business topics too. And I realise I can't work on every skill at once, but I know, or I feel like my role as CEO is, as I said, the strategy, but also I need to know a little bit about everything. So I hadn't done sales prior to coming into being ninjas, not really. I've done a little bit in the consulting business. So that's another area where I've been reading a lot and, and talking to other people that know about sales. And I don't necessarily have it a list in order of priority of what skills I'm working on, but I'm definitely... I probably listen to six podcasts a week. I'd, I'd be reading every week and I'm trying to improve particular areas of my skill set on a regular basis. 
That's awesome. Two more quick questions for me. One is, and this is going to be a little bit weird to the folks here in the States because going international is a big deal, but in, in Australia, going international is probably not as big a deal because um, one, you've got a, a smaller pool of people to, to work with in terms of business owners in your country, but you also, um, when you travel, you travel internationally a lot of times because your country's smaller and there are international places closer. How did you go international? And for the, those of you in the States, that could be going to other states. It doesn't have to be other countries. How did you make that decision? And more importantly, why did you get out of your local area and go to different countries to expand the business? It, the reason that we went international was that we had an opportunity to do so. And I think the opportunity was created because we decided from day one that we didn't want to be a local business serving local customers. We were going to work remotely because I wanted to build a business where I could work from anywhere. And so we were already working with clients all around Australia and we weren't meeting with them in person. We were doing, we were communicating via video conferencing and all of our business systems were in the cloud so that we could work from anywhere. My business partner was based in a different city to me. So we had to do that from the beginning. Then we had, I think we had about three or four referrals for US-based businesses. And for, for us, that was enough to say, okay, well, we've got, in the early days of being in we already have this interest overseas. I think that level of interest means we could hire a CPA in the US just on a contract basis to do this work and let's see how it goes. And I also wanted to mitigate our risks. So we got insurance to protect us from anything going wrong in operating in another market. And we also spent a bit of time assessing any other risks around well, US sales tax. We don't know about that, but we'll hire the CPA. We need to make sure we're not doing any work that we're not comfortable with or that might expose us. And, and so we, we made sure not to take on any high risk accounting or bookkeeping work. And then we went for it. So we, we did great work for those. I think we ended up with three US clients at the beginning and then we got referrals and then we grew it from there. And now actually the US is our biggest market, even though our business originally started in Australia and we have an office in Tucson, Arizona. And I have a business partner that, that works over there and, and lives over there. Well, awesome. Well, I'm in Phoenix. We'll send him up the road uh, an hour and a half and have him say hi to me. Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Great. Um, last question. I know I'm picturing people out there who are doing their own bookkeeping and it, it, they know it's a mess. They feel it's a mess, but they're like, I, I have too much going on in my life to go back and clean all this up. Where, where do they start? Like, <laughs> how do they just feel comfortable about saying, all right, whether, whether it's you and your team that beat ninjas or whether it's somebody else, how do they just say, all right, it's time to clean it up and not lose track of the momentum they have in growing their business? It's actually quite, quite simple. And I think when you're hiring a bookkeeper, it's helpful if they've got understanding an understanding of your industry. So if you're running a gym, then there might be a bookkeeper that knows about gyms. Or if you're an e-commerce business, then find a bookkeeper that knows about that. Then just reach out, reach out to a couple. So speak to two or three and just find out what they do. And you want to work with someone that's a good communicator so that you feel comfortable asking questions and you feel confident in them, in them doing great work. And even bookkeepers pick up files that are a mess all the time. So I wouldn't feel embarrassed or, or worried about that. And the way that they should approach it is to get you set up so that going forward, things won't be a mess anymore and, and they can 
look after that and make sure that you've got the right integrations and you're using the right platform, the chart of accounts is all set up. And so that will look after everything going forward. And then once that's set up, they can also go backwards and do a cleanup of any previous months. And it's a common piece of work with bookkeeping. So they'll be able to figure it out, how to do that cleanup. It might feel overwhelming for you as the business owner, but these are people who are doing this day in, day out. And so I think just pick up the phone and talk to a couple or ask your friends for recommendations if they've got businesses in similar industries and then yeah, find someone that you feel comfortable with. Such great advice. And everyone, you need to take that advice. Uh, I think it's really important from any business owner, if, you, if you're bookkeeping straight, your numbers are good, your numbers will tell you what to do next. Meryl Johnson, thanks for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. It's been fun. Fantastic. And everyone, thanks for being here on the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. I'm Adam Kipnis. Uh, grab my book at freebookfromadam.com or uh, connect with me on LinkedIn or Instagram at Adam Kipnis. Look forward to having you all on the next episode. Thank you. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business at www.freebookfromadam.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>